You are listening to the podcast of Providence Church in Austin, Texas. We hope this message raises your affections for Jesus and helps you live out the gospel in everyday life. Well, we have been studying the book of James uh, together this year. Um, and as we come to chapter 3 today, we're getting roughly to the midway point in the book. Uh, and the theme of James that we have been looking at each week is genuine faith. Uh, James is a, an immensely practical letter, as we have all seen. Uh, and he's trying to uh, get us to see and trying to tell the difference between just a mere profession of faith and uh, this idea of genuine faith. Uh, and he's told us, as we've seen all along, genuine faith in Christ, it changes the way that we live our life. It changes every area of our lives. That's the big idea of the whole book of James. And what we saw last week was that genuine faith in Christ necessarily produces fruit in our lives. It produces the kind of fruit especially that shows itself in love for others. That is the kind of faith that saves us, James says. Genuine faith is alive and active, and it will will necessarily reveal itself in a transformed life. And that's what this book of James, this letter of James, is all, of, is all about. Um, at the end of chapter 1, James gives us kind of a thematic outline for the rest of the book. Uh, in verses 20, 26 through 27, he says, If anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. James is saying here that if you are a Christian, if you have genuine faith in Christ, then you will be changed in these three areas that he gives us. You will be changed in how you use your speech, right? your, your tongue. Uh, secondly, you will be changed in the way and how you treat the poor. And then lastly, you will be changed in how you relate to the world around you. And it's not that these are the only three areas that the gospel changes us in. But remember, James is concerned with the outworking of our faith in good deeds towards others, in others-centered life. And for James, these three subjects, these categories, these areas of life, are the ones that are most plagued by self-concern. These three things, the poor, the tongue, and the world. And if you look at the rest of the book of James, he's really just fleshing out those three things. Uh, Chapter 2, which we looked at the past two weeks, was largely about the poor and how we relate to them. Uh, Chapter 3, which we're going to begin looking at today, right now, uh, is about our speech. It's about our tongue. And then chapters 4 and 5, which we're going to get to in the weeks to come, are mainly about how to live a distinctively Christian life in the midst of this world uh, around us. Uh, But today we come to chapter 3, and we're going to look at what James has to say uh, about our tongue uh, and about our speech. Uh, You guys just heard that passage read, uh, and this is an incredibly challenging passage, and so some of you wish maybe you hadn't heard it. Uh, Like Walker just left the country when he heard I was going to be speaking about this subject uh, because it's it's so challenging to him. Uh, This is one of those passages, one of those texts that just, it exposes us, right? It it indicts us. Uh, When we hear this read, we immediately can think of ways in which our words were used in destructive, careless, self-serving ways, and that's just in the past couple hours. Words are powerful. They can be used for good and for bad, and we all have been on the receiving end and the giving end of both of those things. 
And this is exactly where I want us to start in this passage. Uh, James is going to talk about, and he wants to show us and highlight, the seriousness and the importance of our words. Words are powerful. I think you guys would all agree with that. And this is what we're going to look at when James says. But he's going to go even a step beyond that. Uh, And he's going to say that if you can control your tongue, then you can control your entire life. Uh, In other words, uh, the tongue not only has the power to affect others, but it also has the power to shape our lives. And this is the claim that I want us to consider together uh, today, and I want us to let that statement begin to challenge our faith as we read it. Uh, So let's start there. Let's start with the power of the tongue. Let's just get an idea for what James has to say about this. Um, Let's pick up in the second half of verse 5. Second half of verse 5, James says, How great a forest is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. For every kind of beast and bird, of reptile and sea creature, can be tamed and has been tamed by mankind. But no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing my brothers. These things ought not to be so. Uh, James, just in those verses, gives us a bunch of negative examples, and he's trying to convince us of the potential for harm that our tongue carries with it. Uh, He talks about, one, uh, the character of our speech. He says it's full of unrighteousness. The tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. James next mentions the influence of our speech, that it stains everything that it touches. The tongue is is set among our members, staining the whole body. He then touches on how that influence gets played out, the continuation of it, meaning that sins of the tongue and of our speech, they're unlike other sins, meaning we we can't grow out of them like we can other things, right? They set on fire the course of our entire life. And then he finishes with our tongue's affiliation. He says that it can become an instrument of Satan. It is set on fire by hell. And then he wraps all this together with a statement when he says, it is a restless evil full of deadly poison, right? The point is clear. James is saying that your tongue is powerful, It's harmful, it's untamable, it's duplicitous, right? Your words, your speech, your tongue, it's powerful. Uh, You guys have uh, probably, uh, you've definitely heard, you've probably even said it a lot of times when you were growing up, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words uh, can never hurt me, right? That is just the furthest thing from the truth, James says. Our tongues and the words that we use are extremely powerful, Listen to what the book of Proverbs says on this matter. Proverbs 12 says, There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise bring healing. Words have the power to penetrate and pierce us. They also have the power to heal us. Uh, Then, uh, earlier in Proverbs 6, uh, it says, A wicked man goes about with crooked speech, continually sowing discord. Therefore, calamity will come upon him suddenly. 
Right? So words also have the power to affect the speaker as well. Right? They have the power over the one hearing them. They can pierce, right? Uh, they can heal, but they also they bring trouble. They bring calamity on the one who speaks them as well. They have power over the speaker, and that is exactly what James is telling us in this passage here in chapter three. Uh, James uh, talks about words uh, in terms of blessing and cursing. Right? Those are the those are the categories that he uses. I think the emphasis being that words have a life to them, right? They're either going to uh, give life or they're going to take it away. Your words are out there to either get people or to build them up. Uh, and, and I think this is something I, that I've thought about this week. Your words not only wish evil or wish good, but they actually impart evil and they impart good. I think the difference being, right, if, if we're wishing good, wishing evil, it's sort of an internal thing, right? Going on inside of us, we have this sort of general wish about someone, but when we actually put those things into words, uh, they get sent to another person, you're giving them some kind of a power in their life. They impart uh, power in us. Uh, So James says, on the one hand, your words curse, right? Uh, Some of you uh, remember words that were said to you as children, and you have never forgotten them. Uh, many of you, I would say, have been shaped in ways that you're not even aware of by words that have been spoken to you, things that you're not even consciously aware of, things that your parents may have said, and maybe your friends may have said, things about your body or your character, and they have stuck with you. Right? They have lodged themselves deep inside of you, and they, those words just have a way of shaping how you think about yourself and how you think about your own life. They have a kind of power or control over you. Uh, not too long ago, I was uh, talking with a friend of mine, and she was just sharing with me about some particular struggle she was having uh, regarding her own singleness, right? She was talking about the fears and, and the doubts that she had related to that. Uh, and then she began to share with me some of, the, some of the things that her parents had told her related to this, uh, specifically her mom, words uh, that her mom had spoken to her. I want you to listen to these things. Uh, these are, are pretty intense. Um, she sort of uh, she was able to just rattle these off because words are powerful; they stick with us. And she was able to just rattle these off one by one. And there's many more that are not here, but listen to some of these. Uh, how come you're not married? Maybe you just need to lose a few pounds. Boys will like you better, and you would get out, asked out more if you just lost some weight. Uh, don't you care about getting married? If it's important to you, what are you doing about it? Were you not emotionally available to the last guy you dated? No one is going to fit your lofty standards. I'm not sure what you're holding out for. If only you told me you were dating someone, I I would just feel much better. Uh, Every time you leave the house, you need to have your contacts in, your hair done, and your makeup on because you are fat and no one will want to be your friend if you don't present yourself nicely. That is intense. Uh, Clearly, how could she not be shaped by those words? Those are words of, of cursing, of death. And look, maybe, maybe you haven't been shaped uh, or influenced by words like that. But make no mistake, you are shaped in every day by words that people are speaking to you. You're shaped in powerful ways. Words have that kind of a power uh, over us. And James says this. He says that words are like a fire, right? setting ablaze the course of your entire life. And by the way, you can do this to yourself as well. We, we do this. We can tell ourselves all kinds of things that, that get, uh, they sink into our lives and they begin to shape us. I'm fat. I'm ugly. I'm not lovable. 
I always mess things up. I can't get anything right. No one wants to be with me. I'm always going to be alone. This must be my fault. I'm not good enough. I'm always going to be like this. Words like that, if you say them enough, you'll begin to believe them. They will absolutely sink in. They will lodge themselves in your, in, in your life, in your heart. They'll begin to shape how you, how you think about yourself, the things that you believe about yourself and your life. Words, uh, when we speak them, they gain a certain kind of reality in our lives, and they start to become true. And they're like poison, James says. Right? They, they seep in. They begin to destroy, reap destruction. Uh, on the other hand, your words have the power to bless, James says. And look, uh, I want to make this clear. I think the thrust of this passage is not actually primarily negative, which I think we're going to get into as we, as we can continue to go on. I think James wants us to see and to believe in uh, the power of our words to bless and to build others up. And so likewise, many of you can think back on words of life and encouragement that others have spoken to you, and they have made all the difference in the world. They give you confidence and energy. They even begin to shape your identity, how you view yourself. They change your beliefs. I personally can think back on words that my dad has spoken to me, words that some of my close friends have spoken to me, some family members, right? And they have shaped me in profound ways. Like, I'm absolutely convinced I would not be the person that I am today without some of those words. I would not be standing here preaching the word of God to you if it weren't for some of those things. And let me share with you one of them. Uh, this is some words that my dad has spoken to me. Um, so, grew up in Austin my whole life. Um, big family, really close, tight. Uh, went to the University of Texas for my undergrad, undergraduate degree and then decided I was going to go pursue further education. I went and got my graduate degree at Dallas Seminary shortly after graduating from UT. Right? And so the time came uh, when I needed to move out of the house. Right? I was moving out of, out of town, going up to Dallas. Okay? And so this was kind of a big thing for me uh, and for my family. I was, I was leaving town. I was the first, first one in the family to leave town. Um, and uh, so I was, I was packing up all of my things, getting ready to go, um, and that moment came where I was sort of leaving the house, uh, and I remembered I was sitting in, in the front with my dad, and, and he just spoke to me. He said, um, he said, son, I am so proud of you. He said, I'm so proud of the man that you're becoming. He said, I just want you to know that you have what it takes. Right, those, those are words of life to my soul. Right, they, they're the very blessing of God to me. Without them, I would not be the person that I am. Right? And so I, I got in the car, and I drove away, sort of weeping, right, reciting those words over and over again. And I still do that. Why? Because they're powerful. They stick with me. I can remember that moment. I can remember where my dad was and where I was, and we, we gave a hug and embrace, and I just received those words as the blessing of God. They have power in my life. They have a sort of control. They control how I think about myself, how I think about my life and where I'm headed. Words have that kind of power. And the reason, I think, that James gives us uh, for why words have that kind of power is in verse 9 when he says that we are, what does it say? We're made in the likeness of God. I think there's much that I could say about that that verse, much that we could talk about, uh, but I simply want to point out that words have power in our lives because we're made in the image of God, right? Words and the power of words in our lives are a fundamental part 
of our humanity. They separate us from the animals. We need them. We crave them. They're a fundamental part of what makes us human in many ways. All right, so the first thing James tells us is that our words carry with it great weight and power. And so the way that we use our tongues as Christians is of utmost importance, all right? Now, James is going to take that truth and he's going to draw two conclusions from it, all right? And this is where I want to spend the rest of our time. He's going to draw two conclusions from that. The first is that um, our, our words, our tongue is powerful, um, and the tongue actually has the power to reveal who you are. The tongue has the power to reveal who you truly are. Uh, look with me in verses 11 through 12. He's going to use an analogy here. Uh, he says, Does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Uh, can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Uh, neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. Uh, what James is saying here is that the way that you use your tongue reveals what's inside of you. It gives you an avenue for understanding yourself and who you truly are. And James says, how do you know what kind of a spring it is? He says, well, you look at the water that's flowing out of it. Look at what it produces. How do you know what kind of a tree it is? Well, you look at the kind of fruit that it's producing. And listen to this. James is really just ripping off Jesus here. Jesus in Luke 6 uses the same tree analogy. He says, for no good tree bears bad fruit. Nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James and Jesus are telling us, how do you know what is inside of you? The kind of person that you are, he says, well, you look at what comes out of you, the fruit of your tongue. Your words reveal what is in your heart. They reveal the kind of person that you are, what what you truly are like. Uh, I'm going to share with you my entire counseling strategy now. You ready? It's pretty simple. Uh, I ask as many questions as I can uh, to get the person talking, Because if they talk long enough, the stuff that is deep inside of them, it's going to begin to come out. And that is the good stuff. That's the stuff that reveals what is truly going on in them, the issues that are actually important that we need to work through. And oftentimes, if someone talks long enough, if they get deep enough, they'll begin to say things like, did I just say that? Where did that come from? I I had no idea that was in here. I can't tell you how many times I have heard that. Where did that come from? And when that stuff comes out, then I know that we're getting somewhere. You see, because here's something that's true. We have to know what we believe about ourselves and about others and about our lives if we're actually going to change. We have to know what's in here, what's in our heart, and what we're truly like if we're truly going to experience transformation and change in any kind of a lasting way. And the only way to do that is through words. Words spoken by you and then other people giving you feedback about your life. That's how we know what we're truly like and what's really going on inside of us. We need words to do that. And now that you guys know my counseling strategy, you guys are probably going to be hesitant when I ask you out for coffee. But just know that you can't avoid me forever. Um, 
I experienced this recently with some friends in our gospel community. There's some things going on in their marriage that they wanted to talk about. Some things had come to the surface. And so they came over one Saturday. We, we made a brunch. Uh, and we just sat down. We ate good food. And we just began to talk about their lives. My wife and I just began to ask them questions to see what was going on. We just asked as many questions as we can to get them talking. As they began to talk, things began to surface about what they believed about themselves and what they believed about their spouse and things that, expectations that they had about their marriage, things they weren't even aware of. And these things started to come out. Man, I didn't even know that I, that I thought that. I didn't even know that, that was, I was sort of capable of that thing. Or, right? They began to realize what, what they were truly like and what their marriage was truly like. And as they, as they did that, they got a proper understanding for how they might actually begin to change the kind of marriage that they wanted and how the, the Spirit might bring that about in their lives. And it's at this point that I really want to urge you. I want to make a plea for you. If you're not already involved in a gospel community, please move towards that. It's, it's our structure. It's our value for this kind of thing. Like at our church, we would say, if, you, if this is your home, if you want to get involved, if you want to get connected, the way to do that is through gospel communities. We have gathered worship here on Sundays, and we have gospel communities. And the reason for that is that gospel communities uh, and the relationships that are formed in them provide a context for you to know yourself, for you to be known by others, and for you to know them for who they truly are. Uh, and it's in that kind of a context that the Spirit of God can begin to work and begin to transform us. We must know ourselves for who we really are. And I want to, on the other side, urge you against this danger to be isolated. We all have this tendency, right, to want to isolate ourselves. But it works against knowing ourselves. It works against other people knowing us for who we really are. We must move towards this kind of, this, the value of gospel community, being known and knowing others. So let me slow down here and, and just ask you a series of uh, personal application questions uh, about just sort of how are you doing in your speech, like, let's get a sense for what uh, are your, ver- your words revealing about you. Now, where do you see both blessing and cursing present in your life, in your speech? Like, let's start off with the negative, okay? There's cursing and coarseness, lying about yourself and your accomplishments, uh, making something sound more grand than it was, telling a story with too much embellishment, boasting, manipulation, Gossip, uh, always talking about uh, what you want or what you don't have, feeling pity for yourself. Uh, and for some of you, it's, it's, maybe it's not talking. Maybe that's the thing. Like you always feel this great need to say the, the exact right word in the moment and you're just afraid to, so you just keep silent. Right? Keeping silent when your words are, are really needed in the moment? Are you afraid uh, to confront All of these things, they reveal what's in your heart, what's going on, the person that you are. Uh, What about the other side, the blessing side of things? Uh, When's the last time uh, that you spoke words to someone that truly blessed them in their life? Like, when's the last time you did that with your wife, with your kids, with a friend, family, a coworker? And then try and hone on on this. What for you, specifically for you, prevents you from doing that? 
Like, what are the things that you're trying to control or hold on to or protect? Or how are you trying to manipulate the situation? What prevents you from speaking blessing like that to others? What does your practice of blessing reveal about yourself? James wants us to see here that the tongue reveals who you truly are. Uh, But that's not all. Uh, The second conclusion that he draws for us is that the tongue redirects who you truly are. Your tongue shows you and everyone else what is in you, what you, you are truly like, the kind of person that you are. But... It also has the, the power to redirect all of those things, to change the course of your life. And, and again, I saved this section for last so that we might see, and I think it clearly points to James' primary aim in this passage, which is not necessarily to warn us uh, against sort of the evil of our tongue, to, to caution us to, to guard our tongue, although that is very necessary. I think his primary aim is to make the positive point that if we control our tongues, we gain a master control of our entire lives. Let's see how he says that. Uh, let's pick up in verse 2 in our text. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle his whole body. If we, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we guide their whole bodies as well. Look at the ships also. Though they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So also the tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. We must catch what James is saying here. He's not saying that the person who is strong enough to control their tongue is also strong enough to control the rest of their life. James is not saying that, okay? And I think this is a really important distinction. It is rather that like the bit of a horse's mouth, the rudder of a ship, that by controlling the tongue, you're actually able to control the whole thing, your whole life. The former is about behavior modification, right? Just changing our behavior. And and we're all sort of, we're all capable of disciplining ourselves, at least for a time, right? Grinning it suck it in politely, just sort of say the right thing in the moment. We can do that for a while. But James here is talking about a different kind of control. He's talking about controlling our tongue in such a way that it, re- that it redirects, it changes our entire being. And there is no uh, level of behavior modification in the world that can do that. Right? Even here, James says, no human can tame the tongue. And here's why I think that's true. It's because the issue with our tongue and with our speech is, is so much deeper than just simply what comes out of our mouth. Right? Remember, what comes out is, is a reflection of what's inside of us. And so James is talking about much more than just our tongues here. Our danger is far greater than just the words that we speak. One commentator I read this week, he says this about this very thing. It's a long quote, so stay with me. Uh, He says, the tongue is so much more than what we actually say out loud. In fact, actual speech is probably only a small percentage of the use of the tongue. We cannot think without formulating thoughts and words. We cannot plan without uh, describing to ourselves step by step what we intend to do. We cannot imagine without painting a word picture before our inward eyes. 
We cannot write a letter or book without talking it through our minds onto the paper. We cannot resent without fueling the fires of resentment and words addressed to ourselves. We cannot feel sorry for ourselves without listening to the self-pitying voice which tells us how how hard done by we are. And, And then catch this. He says, but if our tongue were so well under control that it refused to formulate the words of self-pity, the words of lustfulness, the thoughts of anger and resentment, then these things are cut down before they have a chance to live. The master switch has deprived them of any power to switch on that side of our lives. It is in this way that if anyone makes no mistakes in what he says, he is a perfect man. The control of our tongue is more than evidence of spiritual maturity. It's the means to it. He's saying here that that what we think then affects what we say, which then affects what we do, which then affects what we think, and on and on it goes. He's saying, show me a man or woman who is approaching great maturity in their speech, which I think is what that word, when he uses the word perfect, he's talking about a great maturity, right? So show me a man or woman who's approaching great maturity in their speech with bridling their tongue, and then I will show you someone whose thoughts are pure and whose words and actions and all of that are following along with it. Uh, If you have an angry thought, that thought can be working powerfully inside of you. But... If you take that thought and you clothe it with words, it takes on a whole new kind of power, doesn't it? And so what James and what the Bible are telling us here, what they're getting after, is that if you have anger inside of you, when you have the desire to pour forth cursing, you know what you should do? You should bless instead. Because uh, that blessing has the power to redirect your life. It has the power to transform your heart, your entire being. And look, I'm not saying here that your actions are more important than your thoughts or your inward life. But what I am saying is that your tongue, your speech, your words have the power to transform your inward life, to heal and change your heart. Like, think about, uh, let's just take exercising, for instance. Uh, let's say you set out to, to exercise, right, to get in a little bit better shape, right? You want to discipline yourself, you want to start working out, whatever, three, four, five times a week, right? It's going to take like, some change in your life to do that. Well, as you begin to speak those things to people, and it begins to say, hey, this is what I'm going to do. You tell your wife, you tell your friend, right? It, it holds you accountable to those things, and those words gain a power in your life, right? And then in that moment when you realize, okay, man, I'm feeling really lazy, I don't want to work out. Like, that's the thought that comes in your head, Right? But if you begin to close it, thinking, no, I'm, I'm going to go work out. I'm going to take a step of faith. I'm going to do this. Right? You work out once. You work out twice. It begins to change you. You, actually, you get in better shape. Your desires start to change. You actually start wanting to work out. Right? That's how this the whole thing works. It's this cycle. You know, if you can cut it down at the thought level, if you can get it into words that hold you accountable, it'll begin to change the whole direction of your life. Let's take the example of maybe someone who's an alcoholic who struggle, struggles with drinking. Right? They, they know that they need to be really careful with what they take in their body. Right? So they want to begin seeing change. And that is not just like a behavior modification thing. right? That's something that God has got to change at a heart level. 
right? And so you move towards other people. You begin to speak that towards other people, like, this is where I want to grow. This is what I want to see God do. This is the things I'm committing to, right? In those moments when you have the thought, right, I, man, what I really just want right now is a drink. You can begin to express that to someone. Confess it to them. And this is what I'm feeling in this moment. If you do that, if you're able to do that, those words that you speak to someone actually gain power, don't they? They hold you accountable to them. Right? And as you, as you deny yourself of, of that thought, those desires that you want, right? and you, you live into this thought of, man, I don't have to be uh, held captive to those things. And that, that sin or those, those sins that uh, have a control over your life, they begin to get weakened. That's how this thing works. Your words and the power of words has the power to change, to redirect your life. And, and so this is the reason why we confess our sins as Christians. It's the reason why confession is the, sort of the first step uh, towards change and towards healing. It's because as you confess your sins verbally to someone, as you put your thoughts into words, it makes you accountable for those things. They take on power. And this is the same for everything that we do here on Sundays. This whole pattern of worship that we follow, that you're following along with in your handout there, we are clothing the gospel in words, in a liturgy that has power in our lives. This is also the reason, as Christians, why we read the Bible. It's why the Bible, the Scripture, is so important to our Christian walk. When we're reading the Bible, what we're doing is we're submitting ourselves, we're putting ourselves under the Word of God. We're soaking in God's words. Why? Because they have great power to change us, to transform us. Uh, The reason that you make promises to somebody, right? Right? is because as you speak those words of promise, they have a certain power to hold you accountable to that person. The reason that you make vows on your wedding day, those words have a certain power. They, they can change the course of your life in many ways. They redirect who you truly are. Um, so again, let me, let me sort of pause here and just ask you a few questions uh, along these lines. What, what is your practice of confession like? How often, how regularly do you confess your sins out loud to someone? Who knows you to the point that they're able to hold you accountable? Who knows you to the point that that they are able to speak meaningfully in your life? This is the point of gospel community. It's to be known by others and to know them. So who knows you to that degree? Who knows who you truly are so they can speak meaningfully? to what's going on in your life? What's your practice of reading the Bible like? Are you regularly submitting yourself to God's word, putting yourself under it, letting it search you, reveal who you truly are, letting the words of Scripture sink, seep deep down into the very fabric of your life? And the point of all this is, are you using the words and the means that God has given you to redirect your life. See, look, the point is not reading Scripture. The point is not uh, confession. The point is, is not even bridling your tongue. That's not the ultimate point, right? The point is being transformed into the image of Christ. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's our ultimate aim. 
But these things that we're talking about, controlling our tongue, reading our Bible, soaking in God's words, they're the means of which God transforms us. And so are you using the words and the means that God has given you to redirect your life? See, words are powerful. They reveal who you truly are. And they have the power to redirect who you are and who you are becoming. Uh, so what do we do? What do we do with all that? I mean, outside of sort of employing a lot of the means that I just gave you, which are really important and crucial, like what do we do with all this? If our words have that kind of power, the power to redirect us, if, if no amount of behavior modification is going to work, if we, if we can't tame our tongue, what are we supposed to do? Uh, I think James gives us some insight in verses 9 through 10. Uh, he says that with our tongue, uh, we bless, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it, we also curse men. He says this should never be the case. He says these two things are utterly uh, incompatible. In the same way that fresh water and salt water are incompatible, so praising God and cursing men, they just they can't go together. And on the one hand, I think James is pointing out to us the inconsistency of our tongue. Right? He's pointing out the fact that we actually do this. We do both of them. Right? And on the other hand, I think what he's saying is that you cannot do these two things at the same time. You cannot do both of them at once. It's impossible. And I think it's in this fact that we see that the praising of God is our Father. It's the worship of Him that contains the, the lasting uh, power for transformation. The answer for us as Christians is the worship of God. That might sound simplistic, but, but I'm, it's true. The worship of God is the thing that can heal us. Uh, for those of you who are hurting because you've never received been, uh, or heard the kind of words that I was sharing with you, the kind of words that I've heard from my dad, um, I want to tell you a couple things. First off, now I mourn for you. You have been shaped in ways, um, by words, by lack of words, that should just never be the, cl- never be the case. It's such a complete destruction of the way that God intended things to be. But listen, the good news for you is that the worship of God can heal and transform you. Now, some of you have heard or spoken words of condemnation and you just you cannot get out from under them. They are wreaking havoc in your life. They are destroying you. And for you, I am pleading with you to listen to the good news of the gospel. You ready? God loves you. He loves you so much, in fact, that he sent his only son, Jesus, into the world. You have been shaped powerfully by words that have been spoken to you or lack of words that have been spoken to you. And so what you need is you need a greater and better word. You have to be shaped by a greater word than what you have heard, than what you've been shaped by. Hebrews says that Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, he says that his blood speaks a better word. Isn't that good news? And listen, John's gospel says that Jesus 
is the word of God made flesh. Like, do you think that Hebrews or the Gospel of John are using that kind of language by accident? No way. Jesus is the better and greater word. See, he became flesh, he dwelt among us, and he took on the condemnation that we all deserve and that we all feel. Scripture says that Jesus was uh, oppressed and afflicted, and he opened not his mouth. He was crushed, he was mocked, he was scorned, and he remained silent. And he became the curse, Scripture says, so that we might be the blessing of God. And when Jesus was, was crushed, when he was put to death, after that God raised him from the dead and he exalted him in heaven where he sits at the right hand of God. And it was Jesus himself who received words of blessing like that from his father when he said, this is my, my son in whom I'm well pleased. And now Jesus sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us on our behalf, speaking words of blessing and righteousness to God for us. He pleads our case, Scripture says. He speaks a greater and better word. It's what we need. This is good news. Those are words that can, that can heal even the deepest and the darkest areas of our life. It's the worship of God as our Father and His grace towards us in Jesus that can transform us through the power of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for us. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Providence Church. For more resources and info, visit us online at www.providenceaustin.com.